Well, moving on to matters coming out of uh, South America. Well, Brazilian president or former president Jair Bolsonaro ended his post-election silence on Friday, addressing his supporters at the gates of the presidential residences after staying silent for almost 40 days after his uh, uh, election loss. Now, some of his supporters have called for a military coup to stop president-elect Luiz Inácio. Lula da Silva, famously, of course, commonly known as Lula, from taking the office. Uh, Bolsonaro also uh, was ambiguous in his comments and did not um, endorse the call for a military intervention, but said the armed forces would respect the Constitution. Joining us this morning is Gustavo de Cavallo, research fellow at the Institute for Global African Affairs at the University of Johannesburg, or UJ. Um, Good morning, Gustavo. Good morning, Jeanette. Thank you so much for the invitation. And thank you for joining us. Why did, um, you know, Yair Bolsonaro wait so long to break his silence? I mean, and, and did this come as a surprise? He's quite a, or was quite a vocal person all these years, and especially as president, and waiting for so long to say something, why so? Uh, there's certainly been an uh, incredibly divided space in Brazil for the past couple of years. Probably the most difficult political division we've had in a country in decades. Uh, for Bolsonaro, there is certainly a sense of self-survival. There, there, is, there is an understanding and a fear that he may be arrested at some point. But it's also to what, what many analysts like myself believe, there is also an aspect of trying to find if there are any opportunities to reduce the damage that the loss created to himself as a person, to his family, uh, many of them implicated in current corruption scandals, uh, and certainly a fear of whatever he says right now can be utilized against him in potential future uh, uh, court procedures. Uh, after um, Jair Bolsonaro's defeat, uh, what we what we were made to understand is that computers at the Planalto Palace, and that is the seat of the presidency, uh, were wiped under the excuse that a threat had been uh, detected. I mean, do you believe that this was to maybe destroy any evidence that could incriminate him, or or is this a standard procedure that has been had been observed in prior uh, presidencies and and governments? in Brazil that you have a rush to now destroy uh, information, wipe information clean. What do you make of wiping of the computers? Um, In any normal circumstance, I would say it is possible that it's because of a particular threat. I think with this current administration, we do need to look into those things with a pinch of salt, particularly because we've seen a lot of sensitive information being classified for no apparent reason. We've seen currently the the incoming president, Lula, uh, announcing already that he won't be leaving, uh, he won't be residing at the presidential palace after January 1st until there is... Uh, a major swap of the palace to ensure there's no bugs and no, no threats for the future president. So I would say it's difficult to know exactly what were the reasons for that. And I think like many things with this current administration, it's quite hard to know. But it seems uh, potentially uh, uh, 
seems possible that the reason why those computers were wiped are similar to the reasons why many of the budgets and many of the the court cases have been classified for a very long time, for unusual 100 years. Um, you know, we've seen pro- protests and rioting, and this began, you know, uh, as Lula announced uh, five members of his cabinet. Uh, in the days to come, it is obviously expected that uh, uh, the incoming President Lula is going to announce mo- more members of the cabinet, and uh, he is now going to obviously take further control uh, of the uh, of the. Brazilian, uh, you know, of, of the country itself. Do we expect more protesting, more rioting uh, with, with those elements that are still loyal to Bolsonaro and, and even those who are not entirely loyal to Bolsonaro but just don't like, um, you know, a, a Lula presidency? Yeah, no, I think it is a very important question. And we've seen already in Brasilia uh, for the past two days, uh, Lula was graduated formally uh, two days ago. So basically is the formal passage of power, but officially he would start in the presidency on January 1st. And we've seen buses being burned. We've seen a lot of parts of downtown Brasilia being closed due to protest. And it does seem that... While there is a reduction of many of those that support uh, the idea of the military coup, those that are still uh, camping outside of barracks, those that are still claiming for the military dictatorship will continue to do so. And the important aspect within Brazil now, I think there is, uh, we are far from expecting that the president, uh, Bolsonaro, would be willing to, to, to engage in a dialogue that reduces that tension. But it is a signifier of how the society is divided at this stage. I think uh, uh, those more moderates in their positions that have voted for Bolsonaro seem to be far more quiet when it comes to that. But those, those in the far right, those that have more extreme tendencies, are already showing that in the next couple of weeks will remain quite difficult in Brazilian politics and society and will remain an important space for the new administration to, similarly to what we saw in January 6th in the United States, that those that have been part of the, the, the destruction that we saw in Brasilia two nights ago are actually prosecuted so that we don't get something far worse than what we saw in Washington. Gustavo, one particular parastatal that's going to come under scrutiny, uh, and I'm sure it already has, is in fact Petrobras. Uh, and, uh, you know, Petrobras, of course, being the state-owned, the Brazilian-owned, state-controlled oil and gas uh, producer. Um, I wouldn't call it exactly like ESCOM, but it is no doubt, uh, uh, you know, uh, Brazil's powerhouse when it comes to employment, when it comes to extraction of their major export commodity of oil. And, and gas and, you know, pretty much a, a stable and, and a backbone of Brazilian, you know, uh, society and, and the economy. Uh, we're going to see uh, Petrobras's chief executive leaving the office and that will be, uh, you know, as Lula comes in on the 1st of January, whether immediately or not, uh, unclear. But um, uh, do, do we see that Lula will now seek a replacement uh, for Petrobras's chief executive or would he keep much of the top management uh, within the company itself, uh, or uh, how, how? What is the future of Petrobras under uh, under Lula? Uh, that is a very important question, and and 
both from very tangible but also symbolic reasons, Petrobras will be under a lot of scrutiny during uh, uh, the third government of Lula. For a first reason, we, we Petrobras is one of the largest Brazilian companies. It's a parastatal company, as you well mentioned, but historically also have been uh, very much aligned to, to those parties that are in power. But particularly important, and, and briefly on your question, it is likely that the senior management of Petrobras and most of uh, uh, Brazilian parastatos, ministries, and, 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 and different agencies will be replaced to those that are closer to, to, to the Workers' Party and their coalition. But I think the important part now, and, and despite... Uh, uh, the frustration that many have with Bolsonaro, the, there is an equal frustration that many of the population have regarding the corruption scandals that we saw in Brazil in the 2000s and 2010s that directly targeted Petrobras as a vehicle for corruption. So if we want the next government to, to be stable, if we want the society to stabilize, because that is not simply a political debate, it's something that affects everyone's household on a daily basis, uh, the Workers' Party will really have to show that their past corruption scandals are in the past and that accountability and the, the way in which they govern and manage uh, major assets like Petrobras have to be done in an accountable way, in a transparent way that follows the Constitution. And that could make or break uh, the future government of Lula if the corruption issue is not very clearly presented within their implementation of the mandate. Hmm. We've also seen as, as part of the appointments of uh, Lula that Fernando Haddad uh, of the Workers' Party was chosen as finance minister. Um, I mean, reigniting uh, investor fears that uh, the new administration is set to pursue a looser fiscal policy. Uh, how does one view the appointment of Fernando Haddad? I mean, what type of um, attitude or what type of mood does Fernando Haddad bring to the you know to, to the administration especially in the position as a finance minister yes uh, i think it's a it's a very interesting question it has certainly shaken the market for the last week and a half Fernando Daji is a fairly well-known politician, ran for presidency in 2018 when Lula was implicated in some court cases uh, and was the mayor of Sao Paulo, so has quite a, quite a high reputation when it comes to, to, to his own political credentials. Uh, he also has a PhD in economy, which uh, certainly provides him the tools and the understanding of the economic system. Uh, I find very unlikely, and if, especially if we look into the first two administrations of Lula in the 2000s, that the government would change the fiscal system, that would change entirely the way that the economy works. If we look into the debates that we have in Parliament at the moment that are talking directly about uh, the different ways of spending funds, and particularly the increase of social funds. Uh, so, 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 so there is uh, uh, more than the concerns that many have from the ideological stances of Haddad. I think there is an important moment for discussion in terms of what is the future of the economy of the country that we would like to have. How is that going to be managed? 
And noticing that there is a lot of checks and balances that exist within the Brazilian government uh, that was largely put in the 1990s and continued by Lula in the 2000s that provide a central space for stability of the economy, reduction of inflation, and in the case of Lula's government now, a heavy focus on social investments as part of the larger economic model that Brazil would like to have. Finally, Gustavo, before we conclude, um, you know, there are two things that have always been um, uh, focused upon Brazil. Uh, sometimes, they, they, you know, maybe a bit more unfairly compared to other uh, players in the region. And one is Brazil's role in the preservation of its environment in, in the interest of, of the globe itself. I mean, Brazil is home to arguably the largest track of uh, natural forests by way of the Amazon that exists on the planet. And as a result, Brazil has been under uh, pressure from the you know, environmental community to preserve its, uh, you know, its natural resources by way of logging, by way of mining, etc. And the other one being the rights of the indigenous community, uh, which for a long, long time has ta- have taken a backseat in South American politics and in society for that matter. And in recent years has seen a resurgency of many charismatic indigenous leaders leaders standing up for the rights of their people, and rightfully so. How does the Lula administration uh, fare on these two points, uh, global environmental concerns and the rights of the indigenous communities? I think that it's your points are probably one of the largest challenges we have in Brazil at the moment. I think as Lula mentioned in his speech at COP27, the idea is that Brazil is back. Uh, During Bolsonaro's administration, many of the funds environmental funds that had been pouring into the Amazon for years to ensure there is uh, a conservation of the environment, but a conservation of the environment alongside with support to indigenous communities that historically have been incredibly disadvantaged in Brazil. Uh, Lula seems to be putting many uh, of those issues at the forefront of his government, both in terms of domestic politics and, 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 and largely uh, engagement within the Amazon has a lot to do with logging, has a lot to do with expansion of our agriculture, and which were some of the main supporters of the previous administration. Uh, those we, we most likely will see a rebuilding of many of the governmental agencies that deal with national parks, like ECMEBIL or IBAMA and other institutions that, and particularly strengthening the capacity of many of the foundations and agencies, governmental agencies that deals with the uh, Brazilian indigenous community. So certainly we expect and we hope that Brazil will go back into the path that we saw in the 90s and the 2000s of reduction of deforestation, of increased engagement and a positive engagement with indigenous leaders and communities. And we are already seeing many of those that are rallying around the Workers' Party uh, to uh, engage in the development of new policies towards the environment and the indigenous communities. But I think it's important to say that for while the country is very divided regarding Bolsonaro and Lula, uh, we shouldn't expect to have this honeymoon period that many governments have. So it will be a difficult space to govern, it will be a difficult space, and it will entirely depend on the ability of the government, not only to issue certain policies and to strengthen certain parts of the executive, but particularly how the executive under Lula will interact with a very convoluted political process within the Brazilian Congress. 
Gustavo de Cavallo, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Islam International, updating us on matters uh, coming out of Brazil and the region itself. Have yourself a good uh, rest of the, the year, Gustavo, and looking forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for your listeners too.